Chapter Five of Falcons of Narabedla by Marion Zimmer Bradley. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Five, where the dreamer walks. I had been scared before. Now I was panicked, wild with a nerve-destroying fright. I am not a coward. I set up a radar transmitter in Okinawa within ninety feet of a nest of Japs, but that was something real. I could face it. But under two suns and a pair of little moons, with weird people I knew were not human, all right. I was a coward. I steadied myself in the saddle, trying with every scrap of my will to calm myself. If this was a nightmare, well, I'd had some beauties. But it wasn't. I knew that. The frost hurting my face, the sound of shod steel on stones, the vivid colors around me, told me I was wide awake. Dreams are not technicolored. And through all this I was riding hell for leather, my knees gripped on the saddle, guiding the horse with the grip of my thighs, and I'd never been on a horse's back in my life. Rode and rode. We had ridden about seven miles, and stopped twice to breed the horses, but we were still beneath the great archway of trees. The sky's pink sunset light had faded. The land was flooded with a blue, fluorescent starlight, a light I'd never seen before. I strained my eyes upward through the black foliage. I suppose I had some confused idea of guessing when I was by the stars, but the view to the north was hidden by mountains, and I don't know one constellation from another, with that single exception. A glance at Karami, in this fright, unnerved me. I touched the reins, dropped back till I rode between Yamin and the girl in flame-color. Adric. The spell-singer saluted coolly, and the girl in the winged cloak threw back her hood. I saw dark eyes watching me from a pure, sweet young face. Before the luminous innocence of those eyes I wanted to cry out in protest. I was not Adric, warlock of Narabedla. I was just a poor guy named Mike. I was just me. I rode beside Gamine for minutes, trying to think what I would say. Gamine's musical voice was not raised yet it carried perfectly to my ears. "'You seem wholly yourself again.' I didn't answer. What was there to say? Still there seemed to be sympathy in the sharp-edged tones. "'You will remember, perhaps too much, at the dreamer's keep.' "'Gamine,' I asked, "'who is Narayan?' I saw the blue ropes quiver a little. Across from Gamine I saw a curious flickering look pass across the face of the girl in the orange-winged cloak, but Gamine's answer was perfectly even and disinterested. "'The name is not familiar to me. Have you heard it, Sinara? The girl did not answer, only moved her dark head a little. "'I should know,' I mused. But the name Sinara had touched another of those live wires within my mind. Narain. Sinara. Sonara and Narayan. If I could only remember! Suddenly I turned. Gamine, who are you? Gamine sat quiet, eerily motionless on the tall horse. The robed figure seemed to blend into the starlit shadows around us. I had the sudden feeling of having relived this moment before, then the veiled shoulders twitched impatiently. Is this an inquisition? Rebuked and stung by the arrogant voice, I touched my heel to my horse's flank and rode forward to rejoin Karami. Gamine! The hell with Gamine! 
For several minutes the road had been climbing, and now we topped the summit of a little rise and abruptly the trees came to an end. By tacit consent we all drew our horses to a walk. We stood atop the lip of a broad bowl of land, perhaps thirty miles across, filled to the brim with thick dark forest. Far out in this valley lay a cleared space, and in the center of that space lay a great tower, but not a slender and fairy-like spire like the towers of Rainbow City. This was a massive dungeon thrusting heavy shoulders upward into the moon-washed sky. The Keep of the Dreamers Something in me murmured, this is the forest where the dreamer walks, or had the murmured voice come from Gamine, motionless behind me. Karami rode eagerly, her face drawn tautly together, her slim tanned hands clenched on the reins. All this while I was Mike Kenscott, but a Mike who watched himself without knowing what he would do next, like those puzzling nightmares where a man is both actor and audience to some mummery being played. I watched myself say and do things as if I were two men at once. In effect, I suppose I was. Karami turned in her saddle, facing me. Adric, she murmured, lead me where the dreamer walks. I knew, with a sudden surety, that because of some bond between the free dreamer and myself I could do this, but again something outside myself told me what to say. That bond is broken, Karami. Did you not break it yourself? How can I guide you then? And for my reward I saw unsureness leap in her cat's eyes. That shot had told. Karami had been guessing then. The answer had shaken her. But this woman was a past mistress at subtlety. She murmured, It can be forged again, that I swear. Ah, but I knew how far to trust even Karami's oaths. We had dipped down into the bowl of forest and we were riding through thick woods, along a road that struggled windingly, with many curves and sharp corners. Adric knew this country. His knowledge made Mike Kenscott shiver. He had hunted here, and for no four-legged game. As if Karami read my thoughts, I hear her low laughter. So my wrist aches for the feel of a falcon. We'll hunt here again, soon, you and I. I was partly bewildered by her words, but they gave me a shivering excitement, an insidious thrill. Behind me I heard Gamine's chanting take on a new note. The words were still indistinguishable, but the very tune screamed warning. A pulse began to twist jerkily in my neck. Without any warning the road twisted. Karami and I spurred our horses and rounded the curve in one swift, racing burst of speed, and were fairly in the trap before we knew it. It was the agonized whinny of my horse, and the jolt of my body riding itself automatically from the plunging animal beneath me, that made me realize we had ridden straight on a show de vries. I yelled, cursing, shouting to carry me to get back, get back, but her own momentum carried her on. I saw her light body fly out of the saddle and disappear. The others, rounding the curve in a wild dash, were fairly on the barrier already, and the place was a bedlam, a scramble with riderless horses milling in a melee of curses, and the screaming of women and the threshing of feet. I was out of my saddle in an instant, thrusting Gamine's mount back from the stabbing points fixed invisibly against the dark barrier in the road, shouting to Everin and Idris. Everin leaped to my side, catching at Karami's wild horse, while I tore madly at the barrier where the woman had been thrown. 
Idris bore down on me, mounted. "'Go round!' he shouted. I plunged through the underbrush at the side of the road, with hasty feet twice snaked by long creepers. Past the barrier the road lay open and deserted, and Karimi lay in a shimmer of crumpled silk, motionless. "'Gamine! Everin!' I bellowed. "'No one's here! Quick! Karimi is hurt!' The head and shoulders of Idris' horse thrust through the thick brushwood. "'Is she dead?' the dwarf muttered. I bent, thrusting my hand to her breasts. Her heart's beating, only stunned. "'Get down,' I ordered. Idris scrambled, monkey-fashion, from the saddle. I lifted the woman in my arms, but she did not move or open her eyes. Idris touched my arm. "'Put her on the saddle,' he suggested, and together we laid her across the pommel. Suddenly the dwarf cried out. "'What?' I asked sharply. "'I hear—I never knew what Idris heard. His head vanished, as if snatched away by a giant's hand. A rough grip collared me, choking fingers clawed at my throat, a thousand rockets went off in my head and I lay sprawling in the brushwood, eating dust, with an elephant sitting on my chest and threatening hands gouging my throat. My last coherent thought before the breath went out of me was, I'm waking up. End of chapter 5